Welcome to The Marcus Warren Show, powered by 960 Digital and the Wealth Empowerment Network. Now, here is your host, Marcus Warren. Oh, here we go on a Sunday. This is The Marcus Warren Show, the number one retirement and tax planning show in the region. I am your host, financial advisor, tax and road agent, and author of the retirement and tax playbooks, Marcus Warren. And I hope everyone is doing well on this Sunday. And to my left, I am joined by our resident tax professional, D. How you doing, D? Hello, and happy Sunday. And remember that if you miss any parts of the show and you want to catch up on anything you missed, all you have to do is subscribe to the Marcus Warren Show podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Now, throughout the show, we will be offering our retirement rescue game plan. Now, you may be asking yourself, if you're a brand new listener, What is that retirement rescue game plan, Marcus? Well, it's a physical packet of information that will help rescue your retirement from all the risks that threatens your nest egg once you are close and in retirement. Now, in that game plan, you're going to get a copy of my two books, a few different easy-to-read financial reports, and access to my webinar entitled Taxes in Retirement. And you can simply order that by going to warrenwealth.net. That's warrenwealth.net. You go to the site, put in your information, and that retirement rescue game plan will be delivered free of charge to your front door. Once again, all you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. That is warrenwealth.net. Now, so there is a lot of stuff that's been going on uh, recently uh, in the news, a lot of topics, things of that nature. Um so much, so much stuff out there. Um, you know, we're not going to talk about yet another Trump, Trump indictment. We're not going to talk about uh, the blind side and that uh, lawsuit. Uh, we're not going to talk about, uh, our, the, although our, our, house go, our hearts go out to uh, the Maui wildfire, wildfires, those who've been involved in that. And we're definitely not going to talk about super lifelike humanoid robots that are in China. What we Wait a are, minute, what? Yes. We're not going to talk about it. Okay. What we are going to talk about is retirement finances and money. Why? Because money matters. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, money, money. All right. So, um, believe it or not, the market has been uh, fairly volatile, um, at least really this month, uh, for the most part. Um, and we were talking about being in this bull market um, last uh, last month, matter of fact, in July, because the market had bounced back um, 20% from its low. And actually, the market was up, specifically the S&P 500 was up um, about uh, 20% so far this year. Uh, it's pulled back um, about 7% or, or so, so, but the market overall is still up, the S&P, is still up about 14%. And... You know, so there's been a lot of volatility in the stock market and retirees are always confronted with the difficult question of how to grow your money productively, but you also want to safeguard it against downturns uh, that you might not recover from. Um, you know, how do you outdistance inflation, which is has been very prevalent uh, the last uh, year or so, and you want to ensure that your assets stretched the length of your retirement without uh, hitting uh, or having any dramatic market loss. 
And as you navigate those waters, you have to make sure you know the difference between running out of money too soon uh, and uh, having a comfortable uh, retirement. So let's do this. Let's uh, begin by by talking about, uh, I guess, uh, the old school um, paradigms as it relates to stock market investing, right? The biggest one uh, that comes to mind is the idea that if you leave your money in the market long enough, that eventually you're going to come out on top, that the stock market always vindicates itself, right? Um, this paradigm also suggests that uh, the, this buy and hold uh, is a winning long-term strategy in retirement. And then lastly, we've been told that by simply diversifying our investments, you can protect against dramatic swings in the stock market. Now, that's the old school level of thinking, right? Now, stay with me here, because we've learned over the course of the last 10 years that the stock market is more unpredictable and volatile than ever, right? A buy and hold may have been a strategy that worked in the past, but it can be fatal to your retirement strategies if your investments fall at the wrong time. And then we also know that asset allocation is not sufficient enough to mitigate all the different types of risk that you face when you invest in the stock market. And then finally, if the stock market, if the stock, if the stock market, if the stock market, <laughs> if, it falls, <laughs> if it falls at the wrong time, it could force you to postpone retirement indefinitely. Think about this. Think about if you wanted to retire, you know, back in 2008, right? And the stock market uh, went down uh, 50%. You had a decision to make, didn't you? Where you were going to work longer or you were going to just retire with less. Or even as recently as uh, last year, right? When the market was down uh, a little over 20%. If you wanted to retire, were you going to just retire with less or were you going to work longer? Now, fortunately, the market has started to, to bounce back from last year, but it's about the timing of when you want to retire and when the market drops. Now, we always ask the question, you know, is your portfolio truly diversified, right? Because like I was talking about in 2007, 2008, most investors lost 30 to 50% of their portfolios. And how is that possible, given that investors had these diversified portfolios? And really, it's, it's, uh, it's simple, because investors, they generally, they, had, they didn't back then, and a lot of times they still don't protect themselves against all the investment risk that can lead to potential market losses. Now, when investing in the stock market, there are two basic types of risk that investors face. Now, understanding both risks can help you safeguard against them, all right? And so the first risk is what we call unsystematic risk, right? And unsystematic risk is the risk associated with having a single investment, right? All of your eggs in one basket, right? And most people can always think of the risk associated when you have all your eggs in one basket, right? If you had all your eggs in GE, so to speak, or, or Ford, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, but we know a lot of things can go wrong, right? Um, uh, a CEO might die, like Steve Jobs and Apple. Uh, there could be poor management. Right? Products could flop. Um, fraud, like Enron or MCI WorldCom back in the day. But you get the idea, right? Um, and so what is the solution to having all your eggs in one basket, that unsystematic risk? And the solution is what most have heard. And that's asset allocation, right? 
And so the way to mitigate against uh, this risk is not to have all your eggs in one basket, right? And asset allocation basically is investing in a broad range of companies in a broad range of sectors so that if any one of them fails, then you got the others to, to buoy them up. All right. And so um, examples of asset allocation is, you know, having your money spread across different asset classes. You got U.S. stocks, uh, non-U.S. stocks, you could have bonds, you could allocate between service, manufacturing, information sectors, but, but you get the idea, right? But the question becomes this, right? Was asset allocation good enough in 2008? No, it was not. Was asset allocation good enough in March of 2020 when COVID hit? Nah. And was asset allocation, did it benefit you last year when the market dropped 20 plus percent? Nah. Right? Now, that is because asset allocation does it, it does not mitigate against the second investment risk I'm going to talk about. And that is systematic risk, right? And basically, systematic risk is, uh, that's the risk that's inherent to the entire market or the entire economy, all right? So um, what are some examples of that? Um, so you have uh, COVID, right? A pandemic, right? You have, what else do you have? You have war, uh, terror, terrorism, you know, things like that. And so that doesn't... Uh, protect you against systematic risk by having your whole portfolio uh, invested. And, you know, there, there's plenty of examples. I mean, you, you can have, um, let's say you had uh, a portfolio, a stock portfolio, and you invested in, um, say you invested in the Russell 2000, which is the 2000 largest companies, the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, which is, you know, kind of tech heavy there. And then the S&P 500, the S&P is 500, is 500 biggest companies, right? Now, between these four indexes, you would have had 2,600 different companies. But if you go back and you look from 2004 to 2000 and say, let's just go down to 2009, because right in 2008, uh, we know we had the, uh, the Great Recession, right? All of them went up and then they, they all went down back in 2008. All of them. And by the way, we're saying that we, had this, we have this diversified portfolio of those four indexes, right? Why is that? It's because of that systematic risk that I was talking about, right? You never know when uh, there's going to be a pandemic or there's terrorism that, that happens or we just hit a recession or a depression when pretty much everything goes down, right? And so the question becomes, how can you mitigate yourself against systematic risk? And the answer is just to make sure that you have what we call a, a principal protection program, Right? How do we define a principal protect, protected program? It's basically investments that allows you to offload some of that systematic risk and build what we call foundational assets. Um, uh, so, what are so what are some foundational foundational assets? Uh, you have um, uh, defined outcome funds. There's uh, these buffered index funds. There's uh, some real estate investment trusts, secured bonds, uh, some uh, fixed indexed annuities, things of that nature um, can provide you with that foundation for when the market does drop, uh, you have something that can basically prop everything up and you don't have to worry about that particular portion of your portfolio going down. All right. So you have to be very cognizant 
of how diversified your portfolio is. And then more importantly, do you have principal protected assets that can fight against that systematic risk when the whole economy or the whole market tanks? Think about those things. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about this a little more. And then we're going to also get into some retirement uh, pitfalls that can happen once you are not working anymore. You're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. All right, here we go. We are back with, oh, this is um, Sublime here. And song is Santeria, right? Mm-hmm. This song came out in 1996. Okay. All right, top 50 hit in the U.S. All right. Yeah, yeah not bad. I like it. Yeah, it's not bad at all. No, you know. So, um, didn't the guy die? The um, lead singer, right? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't even know who the lead singer is. This is a good album, though. Anyway, welcome back to the show, the Marcus Warren Show. Remember, you can request that retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. The retirement rescue game plan will help rescue your retirement from all the risks that threaten your nest eggs, such as market risk, inflation risk, and most importantly, tax rate risk. You got to protect your hard-earned money from the IRS. Once again, all you have to do is go to Warren. Wealth.net. So, he did pass away in 1996 when yeah. that song came out. Yep, I thought so. See, yeah. I, know, I know a little bit about Sublime. All right, so we were talking about um, protecting against market loss, and um, although the market is up so far this year, um, you know, it's still always a roller coaster ride. And I think what, what people don't understand, um, and I don't know if it's Wall Street's um, objective, which I wouldn't be surprised if it is um, to throw out a lot of smoke and mirrors in regards to percentages and bull and bear markets and all of that stuff. So what do I mean by that? So, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that we are in a bull market, right? What is a bull market? That is basically, that basically means we're up. Uh, the market is up 20% uh, from its bottom. And a lot of times um, that doesn't mean that, your specific retirement plan or portfolio or investments, that that's up 20% from its bottom, right? Because there's something that is called the arithmetic of loss. And I talk about it in my workshops where, you know, if you happen to lose 20% of your investments, right? Because the market goes down like it did last year, you need 25% just to get back to even. You know, it's not about you lose 20, you make 20 and you're back to even, you lose 20, you need 25 just to get back, just to get back to even, not even make any money, just to get back to even. And of course, if you lose, say, let's double that, say you lose 40%, then you would need 67% return that next year, by the way, just to get back to even, right? And so, um, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, look out there and they, you know, see the green uh, on CNBC or Fox Business, and they hear about how the market is going up, and we're up this year. And then they open up their their uh, investment statements, and uh, they tend to get upset and wonder why. And the bottom line, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons. One is you might not specifically have uh, own 
say, the S&P 500, which is an index that um, Wall Street and CNBC uses to talk about the market, or the Dow Jones, which is basically 30 stocks, right? It's the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So it's 30 industrial stocks that you may and probably don't own, right? And so your uh, portfolio that you have with Fidelity or Vanguard, whomever it is, probably doesn't move lock and step with uh, the general market that they talk about, the pundits talk about on TV. So that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why you might not be up, but the overall market may be up. And then, of course, just the arithmetic of loss that I'm talking about where, you know, you may be down, have a down year, and you need more uh, than you lost just to get back to even. So you need to keep those things in mind because that really uh, um, shocks a lot of people when I'm in the workshops and I – go on the, the whiteboard and, and explain that to them. All right. So let's talk about this. So, you know, as you um, move into retirement, because this is a retirement planning show uh, um, for the most part, um, you know, and we're, we're discussing, um, you know, how to protect against market losses, uh, you need to take into account some retirement distribution pitfalls that can happen once you retire and you start to distribute money from uh, those retirement investment accounts, right? So what uh, can basically happen once you retire? Number one, or what's, what can some of those pitfalls be? Number one, you can withdraw your money uh, too quickly from your investment accounts, right? Um, you can also liquidate your assets in the wrong order. And I'll talk about that because a lot of people just think that, hey, I have this nest egg, I have these investments, I'm just going to pick at it and take money out indiscriminately and just pull money out of uh, my retirement accounts. But you can liquidate your assets in the wrong order, okay? And then um, we'll talk about uh, what, what I call sequence of investment returns during your retirement and how... Um, like I was saying, Wall Street uses these percentages up 6%, down 2%, up 10%, average rate of return of 9%. And a lot of those, uh, you need to read between those percentages and numbers and really put uh, some dollars to it. And I'm going to explain that. So um, when we talk about withdrawing your money too quickly, most people always think of, hey, once I hit retirement, I'm going to focus on this 4% rule. And for those of you who don't know what that 4% rule is, it's basically a rule that some financial advisor came up with in uh, 1994, you know, two years before uh, Sublime uh, threw that record out. Um, and it basically says this, um, in any given year, uh, you should only withdraw about 4% of your retirement accounts. And uh, if you, as long as you do that, you'll likely uh, never run out of money. Your money will last until you die, Right. Um, and so if you take out more than 4%, then unfortunately you could have too much life, uh, at the end of your money, um, and run out. And this 4% rule, um, was a rule, like I said, back in the nineties that basically, uh, took into account, um, the things that were going on, uh, during that time. What, what do I mean by that? Rates of return. Uh, they were looking, of course, at age, life expectancy, things of that nature. Now, we live a lot longer these days, right? Our life expectancy has, has stretched out. More importantly, um, the rates of return have kind of gone down. So the average rate of return, you know, for the stock market, um, you know, has been 
uh, about 8% for stocks. And it's been around for fixed income or bonds, it's been about 6.5%. But things have changed since then, right? The average fixed income investment, because of low interest rates for so long, are returning closer to 2 or 3%. Right now, interest rates have gone up, so we're starting to see better uh, returns on fixed income investments. But for the most part, historically, at least over the last uh, 10 to 20 uh, years, the average bond is returning closer to two to three percent. Right. And stocks are still, you know, still average around that, that eight or so percent. Um, but we know that projecting out a lot of times the market is volatile and stocks are projected to be lower uh, in the future than they have been uh, recently. All right. And so the long and short of it is this. If you are still relying on the 4% rule as a guiding principle in your retirement distributions, that could be a bit too aggressive, right? We may not get the rates of return required uh, in your stock and bond portfolios uh, that would justify taking distributions uh, upwards of uh, 4%. And then, of course, we're living a lot longer, so you need that money to last. So so, uh, keep those things in mind. Um, and then, of course, order of liquidation, right? Um, a lot of times people think, you know what, um, I'm just going to, I've saved a lot of money, I'm just going to start to pull it out. And really, um, uh, we categorize money into three buckets. You have your taxable bucket, tax-deferred, and your tax-free. And, you know, how do you go about spending these dollars down? Do you spend all your taxable assets first, then your tax-deferred, and then wait for your tax uh, free accounts, take those out. Um, there's really no uh, set rule in regards to that. Um, the only way to really determine is to sit down with a good fiduciary advisor and they can figure it out for you. Um, they'll have all the tools to basically essentially run every liquidation order mathematically conceivable. Um, and after, pre- after performing those calculations, then they'll be able to give you, based on your circumstances, uh, the order of liquidation that will maximize your cash flow uh, in retirement. All right. Um, we generally give an example out in the workshop that shows one couple just kind of took their money out by just happenstance in a random order. And the other uh, couple sat down with a good fiduciary advisor who advised them, you know, specifically how to liquidate uh, their investments. And the, and the couple that sat down with the uh, advisor uh, was able to spend a million dollars more and their money lasted uh, about seven to 10 years longer. So uh, there is a strategy involved when you are liquidating your retirement accounts. And then the last thing I want to hit on is just basically what we call the sequence of returns, right? And basically the sequence of returns is the order in which you experience investment returns in your portfolio. And it's very important to pay attention to because if you experience too many negative returns in the early stages of retirement, then it, um, then it could dramatically reduce the lifespan of your retirement assets. Um, on the flip side, if you have positive returns in the early years of retirement, right when you retire, and you don't experience negative returns until much later uh, throughout your retirement, then it doesn't nearly have the impact on your portfolio, right? And if, then if you couple poor returns while you're taking money out, it can do uh, lasting uh, damage to uh, your portfolio uh, in retirement. And so a lot of times, you know, people look at, hey, if I can just average 6%, uh, or if I can just average six, yeah, six percent in my investment portfolio throughout retirement, and I take out four percent, I should be fine. 
But as we're talking about sequence of returns, it's how you experience those returns. So one couple can average 6% um, uh, average annual return, and another couple can average uh, 6%, right? But if that if couple A, right, when they retire, have two down years in the market and then try to bounce back a little bit, they can still have they can still average at six percent. While the other couple who retired and had great returns for the first two or three years out of retirement, two or three years out of retirement, and then experienced negative returns, they both can have that six percent average annual return. But couple A would run out could run out of money earlier because they experienced those returns at the onset of retirement as they were taking money out, right? And so it really depends on how you experience those returns and not just that average annual return. So there's a lot of uh, pitfalls once you retire. That's why we always talk about, um, you know, sitting down with a good retirement uh, focused uh, fiduciary advisor uh, who knows about the descent down the proverbial retirement mountain, uh, as I call it uh, in my book, The Retirement Playbook, um, available on Amazon. Go they go and click there and uh, get a nice... Uh, um, course and book in uh, that'll give you the knowledge to navigate the rough retirement waters. Anyway, um, but you know there are a lot of pitfalls. You know from Social Security to sequence of returns to the four percent rule. Do you use that or do you not use that? To Medicare to all of those things that can happen throughout the course of retirement, and you have to make sure that you're on uh, the right course. All right now. Coming up next, we are going to answer some of your emails and we may get into a tax corner with D. We're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. Some smash mouth here. Kind of okay. With her finger and her thumb in the shed. Now, of an this of course is All Star. Well, um, this song came out in 1999. I guess we're in the 90s. We're in the 90s. 90s like that, huh? Number four in the U.S. Number 24 okay. in the U.K. This okay. is definitely a, an 90s. Oh yeah. 90s song. Oh yeah. You know. Not bad. Anyway. All right. Welcome back to the show. The Marcus Warren Show. Remember that you can request your retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. The retirement rescue game plan will help rescue your retirement from all the risks that threatens your nest egg. We're talking about market risk, inflation risk, and most importantly, tax rate risk. You got to protect your hard-earned money from the IRS. Once again, all you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. All right, folks, it's time to get into some emails. Yes, it's email, email time. It's time to check the mail. Hey, listeners, don't forget, if you have a question for Marcus, just visit warrenwealth.net. Click on the Ask Marcus button. Send us your question, and you might be featured on the show. Again, that's warrenwealth.net. Ask Marcus button. Tell us your name. Tell us your question. If we like it, we might read it on the show. First one today is from Tom who says, how important is your credit score in retirement? How important is your credit score in retirement? Well, oh, Tom, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's obviously important. I mean, if you're looking to, um, I don't know, maybe get another house, get a rental property, 
anytime you want to buy something on credit, um, it's, it's, it's very important. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you really, you know, have to make sure that, um, you've, you know, continued to pay stuff on time. Um, it's not anything that we really run into, you know, in this office when, you know, people are, you know, wanting to, uh, uh, finance anything. A lot of times you, if you want to refinance something we do, we have had, um, clients who have refinanced, uh, rental properties in their homes. And of course that's when your credit score comes into effect. So, um, I would always make sure that you maintain, uh, that good credit score if you have one Tom. but, um, yeah, always make sure that you keep it up there. I think, Ooh, oh, go ahead. I think another issue we've seen retirees run into when they're trying to finance something, maybe it is a purchase of a new car or even a second home or something like that is, um, lenders look at income. And yes. for some reason, they don't care that you have all these retirement assets. They want to. They just want to see that income, um, and so that makes it a little bit tougher um, financing, more so than maybe your credit. Well, your credit score is obviously important too. Yeah, but, I mean, but if, you, if you have a crap credit score, yes. that doesn't matter. But if you yes. have a good credit score, it doesn't mean that you're going to get. Uh, well, it just makes the underwriting uh, process a little more difficult. Yeah, a little more difficult. But uh, but there you go, Tom. All right. What else we got? Next one is from Ruth. She says, my almost 23-year-old daughter just started her first quote-unquote real job and is looking for ideas how to start saving for the future. Her job offers a TSP, Thrift Savings Plan. She also has a Roth 401k, or Roth, sorry, Roth account opened four years ago, which Ruth has been helping her fund. She says, my daughter's currently living at home, driving her old car, expenses are low. What are suggestions, ideas for saving for the future for somebody in their early 20s and early on in their career? You know, I, I think it's great that, um, you know, she's contributing to her Roth. You know, that's, you know, what, what you're doing is is right on track and, and it's fine. Um, you know, I guess your 23-year-old daughter, she can contribute up to $6,500 each year into uh, her Roth IRA. Hopefully she is contributing to that uh, thrift savings plan. But <clears throat> now that she does have a Roth, which... By the way, Roth IRAs, it grows tax deferred. And when you take that money out, it is tax free. So if she is starting at 23 and she is maxing out that um, <clears throat> that Roth IRA, then she should be fine. Now, I do want to say this, though. Um, the max is $6,500 for your daughter. Now, she has to have $6,500 of earned income. So... You know, hopefully she does have that because you said she started a real job um, and hopefully a real job is paying more than $6,500 a year. <laughs> but for those um, uh, listeners out there who have, you know, daughters or granddaughters who say they're working a part-time job, they're 16, 17 years old, um, and they don't make, and say they make $4,000 a year because it's just part-time at, say, Dunkin' Donuts. Why? Because I like their coffee. Um and so that's you the, run on Duncan. Yes, I do. That's the uh, max that they could contribute. So if that what, so if they she made four thousand, if that granddaughter or daughter made four thousand dollars that year, that's the uh, that's the max amount that she could contribute into that Roth IRA. So you couldn't go ahead and then hey, you made four thousand dollars, daughter. The max is sixty five hundred. I'll go ahead and up and pay for the other twenty five hundred dollars. You cannot do that. It's earned income. Um, but if it doesn't exceed that $6,500, then it's just what you make, uh, that particular year. So there you go. All right. 
What else? Next question is from Amy, who says, yeah, that's really smart, by the way, starting that early. I don't know what I was thinking at 23, but it wasn't about it wasn't. saving money. And, and, and the one thing that I get 100% of the time when I ask uh, retirees what they would have done differently, they always, always say they would have started, started earlier. earlier. Mm-hmm. 100% of yeah. the time. Yep. All right. Amy says, I got a letter today from Medicare that I will be charged an IRMA, two A's, surcharge next year based on my 2022 MAGI modified adjusted gross income. She says, I retired this year. My income is lower than it was in 2022. Is there anything I can do to avoid this or how does this work? All right. So, you know, when we're talking about um, Medicare, um, you know, Irma is uh, one of the things that, um, you know, clients Basically, uh, forget about. Um, and basically what Irma is, it's income-related monthly adjustments amount, right? And so basically what that means is the IRS, <clears throat> or the IRS, I guess, well, yes. the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, the government, IRS. They look at your last two years of income. And depending on certain thresholds, if you make too much, if you took too much out of your IRA or your 401k or your pension is high or um, whatever that may be, um, it could cause your... Medicare premiums to to go up. And so um, Amy got that letter that says she's going to be charged that surcharge uh, uh, based on her 2022 uh, adjusted gross income. Um, And uh, is there anything that you can do about it? Not not now. Um, Now, since you retire this year and your income is going to be lower, kind of moving forward, depending on if you have a part-time job, if you're just taking Social Security, like I said, what you're taking out of your um, retirement accounts, it will adjust, but unfortunately, once they take that snapshot of the last two years, you're basically stuck with whatever that Medicare surcharge is uh, for that particular for that particular year moving forward. Anything to add? Nope. All right. What's next? Next is from Debbie. She says, would you recommend that I contribute more into my Roth 401k instead of my traditional 401k? She says, I have it with Vanguard. I still have about seven years until full retirement age, so I'll continue working. I'm trying to make the best decision for the future. Well, Debbie, it basically depends on where you think tax rates are going to be once you are retired, all right? Um, So you say you have seven years. And so if you think um, um, tax rates are going to be higher, lower, um, or the same, or let me take a step back. There's only three ways that there's only three directions that tax rates can go. They can either go up, they can go down, or they can stay the same right now. If you think tax rates are going to be higher in the future, once you're retired, then I would look into that Roth 401k, right? If you think your tax rates or tax rates are going to be lower, uh, once you retire, then it probably should be that traditional 401k. And if you think that tax rates are going to be the same as they are now or, yeah, the same as they are now, then it doesn't matter if you contribute to your Roth or traditional because it's a wash. All right. So, you know, the bottom line we look at, we take the the inventory of our our country's um, debts and deficits and unfunded liabilities, and we work under the assumption that tax rates are going to be a lot higher in the future than they are now. And so based on that, I would look to you know, start putting a little bit more into that Roth 401k. Just like I said, when you pull money out of that Roth 401k, number one, 
It's free from every tax, um, federal, state, and capital gains. And when you pull money from that Roth, it doesn't count against the thresholds that determine how much of your Social Security is going to be taxed. So I would look to do that, Debbie. All right, we got time for one more. Okay. Next question comes from Kevin. He says, I'm wondering how much, if any, pre-tax IRA should I convert to Roth? And if so, when? Interesting. He says, I'm 65. I just started Medicare. I'm retired. I'm receiving a pension that more than pays for my expenses. I have about a million dollars saved for retirement. That's nice. With 90% of it in my pre-tax IRA, I'm not married. I have no children. Should I convert to Roth? And if so, how much and when? (laughs) Well, that, um, you know, obviously, Kevin, that that depends. Um, You know, we... um, have utilized a conversion uh, strategy for, you know, our clients. Um, you know, we look at the income uh, that they're going to have coming in and we look at uh, for, for that particular year, we look at what tax bracket they're going to fall into. And if it makes sense, we do suggest converting a portion of, of, of their, um, inv- in, of their tax deferred investments into uh, that tax-free bucket, AKA that Roth um, one thing we don't want to do, we don't want to jump them up into a higher tax bracket, um, you know, because that, you know, could, uh, you know, cause, you know, an, an undue money flowing out that you're going to need down the line. But it is something that uh, you need to look at and you should consider. Just like I said earlier, we think taxes are going to be a lot higher in the future than they are now. So you need to take advantage of the fact that right now taxes are on sale. They are the lowest they've been in our lifetime, and it might make sense. Um, I would suggest going to warrenwealth.net, setting up a uh, quick 15-minute phone call with me, and we can kind of walk you through some of that stuff and see if we can help you out. So there you go. Thank you, Dean. Some good advice. Good advice. There you go. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into some news you can use and news you can't use. You're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. Okay, so got some uh, um, red hot chili peppers. That's right. And the red, wait, scar tissue. Scar tissue. Yes. The song came out in 1999. Okay. Number nine in the U.S., number 15 in the U.K. Nice. Okay. I like it. I'm sure they're still... Oh, yeah, Anthony Kiedis out there jumping around stages. Yep. yep. <laughs> Flea is still playing. That's right. No clothes on. There you go. Anyway, welcome back to the show, The Marcus Warren Show. Remember, you can request your retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. That's warrenwealth.net. In that retirement rescue game plan, you'll get a copy of my two books. Easy to read financial reports and access to my webinar entitled Taxes in Retirement. And you can get that by going to warrenwealth.net. That is warrenwealth.net. All right, it's time to get into some news you can use.
All right. Well, retirement account balances are bouncing back in 2023. As you mentioned, stock market's up this year. But the amount of participants who are taking hardship withdrawals or loans on their 401k accounts is also rising. This is according to reports by Fidelity, Bank of America and Vanguard. Um, So federal law does allow workers to borrow up to 50% of their account balance or $50,000, whichever is less. And then also under certain circumstances, uh, retirees or actually workers with 401k plans can take a hardship distribution without incurring the 10% early withdrawal penalty if they meet certain conditions that qualify as a hardship withdrawal. And yeah, yeah, you know, I just think that um, um, as I was saying, is that a lot of these, a lot of the savings from the COVID stimulus package, mm-hmm. her national savings rate was, it was depressed, but then of course it went up because of stimulus, um, um, stimulus package and people had a lot of money in the coffers. Yes. And what we're seeing is that it's starting to dwindle, 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 dwindle. And now people obviously still have bills and things to pay. And now they're dipping into they're dipping into their retirement, retirement savings, savings mm-hmm. which is never a good idea because it does take a while to replenish that. Everyone thinks they can just That's replenish right. it and they'll be back. And a lot of times it does not happen. And you see it a lot. Yeah, I, I've seen how the 401k hardship withdrawals can cause big tax headaches, too, because remember, you take money out of a 401k. You're paying taxes, even if you are avoiding that 10% penalty, if it's a hardship withdrawal. And then if you take out a 401k loan and you separate from your company without paying the loan back, it could be considered taxable income to you. So those are obviously considerations. And I think despite the good news that we've heard about low unemployment for the last few years, inflation is obviously a big factor. 61% of Americans say that they're living paycheck to paycheck. That's a lot. Yeah, and um, and it's unfortunate because it hasn't changed. Yeah. It's been that way for a while now. All right, what else we got? Okay, America's obsession, apparent obsession with weight loss drugs is affecting the economy of Denmark. So, Ozempic. Is it made in Denmark? And uh, Wigovi. They're rich. Yes. Windfall. The, the Danish manufacturer of both Ozempic and Wigovi is Novo Nordisk. They've generated billions of dollars in revenue. Their market value has risen by more than a third so far this year to $419 billion, which is bigger than Denmark's gross domestic product of about $406 billion. Wow. Wow. And Denmark's currency is called the Krone. It's pegged to the euro. Nordic sales of Ozempic and, and Wagovi have been so strong that they had to convert uh, dollars into the kroner, which is the, the Denmark currency, in such yeah. large quantities, it's causing the krone's value to be higher than the euro, which is forcing the bankers to reduce interest rates. So it's having major impacts on the economy of Denmark. Well, you know, I mean, everyone, everyone is always looking for the magic pill, the silver bullet, um, you know, to, uh, to lose weight, to do whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we found it. There's always a fad and then it never works because people just like to eat and they have no willpower. Yeah, right. I don't blame people. They have no willpower. It's like, um, you know, um, people get made that major surgery that, uh, uh, La- uh they, there's laparoscopic surgery, yes. but then there's the, the other one that where you just, you really get your stomach taken out. And people still end up gaining that weight back yeah. after major surgery. And so, yes. you know, you take a pill that suppresses your appetite, then it can never beat the mind. It beats it for a while, but then after a while, you just get mouth hungry. 
I just need some. <laughs> just need, you know, I need some Popeyes real quick. Just, you know, yeah, even though you ate two hours ago, yeah, but, you know, those uh, chicken strips are pretty good. Spicy, good stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, good for what, Denmark, you said? Denmark, yeah. Good, good for Denmark. At least for now, temporarily. Denmark. I mean, uh, you know, when. Uh, when there's one major company that props up a small country's economy, it's usually not good. Uh, for example, fellow Nordic nation Finland's economy was once dominated by Nokia. Um, and yeah. when Nokia was booming, Finland was booming. And yeah. when Nokia wasn't booming, Finland stopped booming also. There you go. What else? Okay, Amazon is rolling out artificial intelligence across a dozen of its largest warehouses to screen items for damage before orders are shipped to customers. The e-commerce company says it expects technology to cut the number of damaged items sent out, speed up picking and packing, and eventually play a critical role in the company's efforts to automate more of its fulfillment operations. Robots? Robots. Using AI, yes, to screen items, yes. They're adding uh, technology at a time when retailers, supply chain operators, and software makers are searching for ways to use AI to speed up workflows, simplify supply chain decision-making, um... And like I said, automate warehouses. I mean, you brought up the uh, the robots, the humanoid-like humanoid. ro- robots in, in China. I know we've seen, obviously, a lot of manufacturing warehouse operations go automated, become automated. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know. Remember, uh, Andrew Yang was talking about this a lot when he was running for president. He was. He was. automation. Is he still running? Probably still running. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he perpetually runs, yes, probably. He does. Yeah, but he was talking about how how automation, um, you know, is is you know going to be uh, a big detriment to uh, the workforce, you know, down the line. And you know, I mean, there's there's always two trains of thoughts, you know, thoughts of that. I mean, they probably thought, you know, the, the the automobile was going to have a huge effect on the horse and buggy industry and put a lot of people out of work. And they were right. And no. And you just learn a new skill. And, you know, whether it's uh, computer science, some AI, um, you know, so cybersecurity, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, you know, there generally tends to be another industry that sprouts up from. As a result. You know, mm-hmm. as a result. Um, hopefully that's the case here. But. Yeah. Um, you know, the machines are taking over. I'm, you know, I'm a little concerned, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, let's do uh, one more news you can use. Okay. The number of households, uh, making more than $150,000 per year while renting instead of buying is actually increasing and has increased over the last few years. The number of high, higher income households still renting, not buying has increased. No city saw a bigger increase in higher earning renters than Austin, Texas, where renter households are making 150000 or more rose by 154% over a five-year period from 2016 through 2021. Um, and higher mortgage rates, higher home prices, causing people, you know, and then even um, maybe some job mobility where people are saying, hey, we're going to go, we can work from home, we're going to move, work from home somewhere else, we live here temporarily, we don't need to necessarily tie ourselves down and buy. Yeah, there, I, you know, I, I don't want to get into it just because of time, but, you know, it's home ownership, you know, when you, you know, it's, it. you know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it, you know, it mm-hmm. just so happens that, you know, somehow that's not somehow. Um, it, it was, it's called, you know, structuring, you know, society in a way that mm-hmm. puts home ownership on the forefront, keeps you tied to a job, and we have a, uh, a civilization, so to speak. Um, but a lot of times, you know, if you want that mobility, if, 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 
um, you you know want to be able to live somewhere and then you know leave and move or, or do whatever. Sometimes you know and not have to worry about all of the liabilities that come with owning a home, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you watch, if you watch, if you if you read Rich Dad Poor Dad, mm-hmm. um, he basically says you know the home that you live in is a, a liability. It's not an asset, right? Um, because all of the taxes and the fees and the maintenance and all that stuff. You know, he does advocate having investment properties, but the home you live in, he says that's a liability, not Mm. specifically an asset. Mm. Anyway, there you go. Thank you, D, for that news you can use. And, of course, now it's time to give the people what they really, really want. And what they want is the news that you can't use. Well, a Japanese athlete broke her own Guinness World Record by participating in the cross-country skiing 2023 Masters World Cup in Austria at the age of 88. Wow. Katsumi Saiki was first named the world's oldest competitive country cross-country skier um, in last year, last year when she was 87, and now she has beat her own record at the how, age of 88. How far? 3.1 miles. Oh, a 5K. Mm-hmm. She was the only skier in, oh, in the, the age group? over 85 category, yes. But well, she also most beat... Of her competition is probably she, dead. Uh, Unfortunately, yes. But she also beat... Uh, uh, she was faster than a woman in the 81 to 85 category. She was faster than three women in the 76 to 80 category. And she was faster than one woman in the 71 to 85 category. So Yeah, yeah well, I mean... She's I'd keeping like up. She's By the way, up. how long did it take her to go 3.1 miles cross-country skis? I mean, has she finished yet? 26 minutes. 26 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't, I, I, I yes. don't, I'm not in the cross. 5K, skiing, 26 so minutes. I don't, I don't know if that's, that's right. fast that's or anything, right. but good for her. She plans to break her record again in, tw- in February 2024. Good. You know, hopefully, hopefully she's alive to do it. Yes, I All hope right. so too. What else she got? A Pennsylvania six year old has won the title of the 2023 Kids Mullet Champion. Kids what? Kids Mullet Champion. Mullet? Oh, short, short in the front, long in the back. That was that held here right in uh, Kentucky. <laughs> it was not. And there wasn't? Surprisingly, oh, it was. Yeah. Uh, yes, USA Mullet Champions uh, uh, championship, championship. Uh, winner Rory El- Elric with uh, his mullet, which he Rory. calls Rory. His name is Rory. His name is Rory. And he has a mullet. And he's got the mullet. Yes. Oh, yes. He's, he's got, got the best Ireland? mullet. Yeah. He's got the best mullet. He won. I don't know, but he's dubbed. Uh, he dubbed the mullet. He's called it the Cheddar Whiz. Cheddar. Cheddar whiz, yes. That's, uh, I don't, like, what's, there's, you know, a uh, business in the front, party in the back. That's right. That's, there's nothing attractive about that. I mean, you are correct. Know, so, okay, good. So you do agree with me. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's I don't, nothing there's not. attractive. There's none. It's like a novelty. It's a novelty haircut. It's, uh, it's something you do for jokes or, I guess, to win this, these mullet championships. Right. <laughs> anyway, thank you, uh, for that uh, news. You can't use because that's exactly what it what it was. News you can't use. Oh, and we know what that music means. It means we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a great great week, and most importantly, take it easy. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Marcus Warren Show. For more information or to request your retirement toolkit, contact Marcus at 502-339-8255 or visit his website at talktomarcus.com. 
Warren Wealth Management and Tax Planning and WGTK are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with a professional specializing in the fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested.